you know, I kind of know how he must feel because my amount winning was going in the wrong direction too all day. <laughs> Yo, that's kind of messed <laughs> up. Yeah, that, that's too soon. I know. Dak, crazy injury. His foot was leaning the other way. His leg was one way. Pretty disgusting, but just sucks because he was on pace to smash records and now he's obviously out for the entire season. So we won't get to see that. And now we get to witness the red rifle coming in uh, with the most talented offense in the NFL. So we'll see how that goes. But man, Dak, that, that's just a brutal injury. And you know, that that's football. So most gruesome thing I've seen on the field since Miles Garrett, you know, almost decapitated Mason Rudolph last year, I think. <laughs> I mean, the injury, it, it looked gruesome. Then Tony Romo on the call was like, just making the entire audience depressed and emotional. So that was an aspect. I mean, definitely sports broadcasting quote of the year so far is hope it's just cramps. <laughs> like, bro. I mean, he did hold his calf. So, you know, it looked like it was cramps at first. And maybe mm -hmm. he just didn't see his foot, you know, the wrong way. And I didn't see it at first either, I will admit. And I thought, you know, he just, you know, got it like a little Charlie horse or something in his calf. Yeah. But no, he, he was done. And I mean, I can't really compare because like I tore ligaments in my ankle and that was pretty brutal. And, and it is a long recovery. But like having a compound fractured ankle, man, he's got a long road ahead of him. 20 seconds of analysis on Andy Dalton going forward. Go. Yeah, I mean, Andy Dalton is definitely going to be in consideration for, you know, streaming if you need a quarterback, but I don't think he has the upside that Dak has in that offense. So hopefully their defense gets better. So Andy Dalton isn't in a shootout every single match, because if that's the case, I don't think the Cowboys offense will be uh, very efficient. All right. You heard it here first. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 96 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Harvard, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to recap an eventful week five from a DFS perspective. We'll go over our results, review some of the key decision points from the slate, and discuss a few of the interesting stats that we saw come out of the week. But before we do any of that, Joey, can you tell the people how they can support the podcast. As always, you can support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. You can catch all of our tweets where we'll tweet out links to the podcast or our YouTube video. So make sure you're following us on there. And then as always, you could subscribe or follow on every podcast platform that you may use. SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you listen to your podcast, we are on there. So make sure if you're not already hit that subscribe button or hit that follow button it helps us out a lot. And then we have a YouTube channel at the DFS Dose where myself and Ben each post a video every single week. And then we upload clips on there from the podcast if you don't feel like listening to the whole episode so make sure you are subscribed over there and that is the best way to help support the dfs dose yes let's get right into this slate and we're going to review it 
uh, from a cash game perspective first and then transition into the key decision points on the slate. So we'll look first at the highest owned plays from cash games, taking ownership from the massive $25 single entry double up on DraftKings. And I think that, you know, the guys who ended up being the most chalky were no surprise at all. Most owned on the slate was Mike Davis, 65.9%. Clyde Edwards Hilaire right behind him at 63 Zeke. The other massively owned running back at 56.4%. Kareem Hunt was, you know, the the only other guy who really had any type of, you know, notable ownership at 20%. And then, you know, three main, main chalky wide receivers, all over 50% in Olamide Zacchaeus, uh, Robbie Anderson, and Darius Slayton. And then uh, the the chalkiest tight end on the slate, I think, was predictably Evan Ingram at about 30.1%. George Kittle was like 17, Kelsey, Waller, Ebron, all around 10, and, and no no major quarterback chalk to speak of. I guess uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Deshaun Watson were the most popular at you know each about 20%. The cash line ended up being 148.46 in that double up, and uh, how'd you do on the slate, Joey? Yeah, so I squeaked out a very narrow win on this slate for week five. Uh, my lining up ended up getting 150 points, so two points above the 148 cash line, which is always lit. Um, I went 45 and 30 in my head-to-heads, and I cashed in all my double-ups, so made a profit on the week. But in tournaments, had a pretty bad week, did not cash in any tournament that I played in, which is a tough scene. But I took a lot of stands on, on guys, and they didn't work out, so... Can't be too mad uh, with making a profit, especially after losing three straight weeks. So it's good to get back in the win column. Yeah, that must be nice. Uh, wasn't so lucky myself. Joey was just over the cash line. I was just under, finished with 143.68 points. So about five points under the cash line. Uh, good for a 31.1% win rate. Won like 36% of my head-to-heads, none of my double-ups. And uh, Joey and I had a 2v2. I mean, the the majority of our build was the same. I mean, we all had the same three big running backs, the same three wide receivers, and the same defense, Browns D. Uh, The the 2v2 that Joey and I had, quarterback and tight end. Uh, Joey with the winning 2v2, Lamar Jackson and Evan Ingram. Myself with the losing 2v2, Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes, and George Kittle. So let's talk about it, Joey. How how do you feel? Was, uh, I mean, obviously you made the right choice. Yeah, I mean, barely made the right choice. Uh, Like I said, only got two points over the cash line, which is, you know, fortunate. And Lamar Jackson was the highest priced quarterback on the slate at 7,900 and Evan Ingram was 4,600. And just in terms of the 2v2, it was either Mahomes or Lamar for me. And I, I was debating between the two right up until Locke. And I ended up going with Lamar because, you know, I just want that rushing upside at any position where I can get it. And Lamar obviously has elite rushing upside going up against a Bengals defense that allows a lot of quarterback rushing yards. But come to find out that the Bengals have an elite defense and they shut Lamar Jackson down for the entire day. So guess I should have went with Mahomes, especially since the Raiders pulled out a W, which was surprising. They got into a negative game script or positive game script, I should say, for Mahomes fantasy upside. And then Evan Ingram and George Kittle, I thought it was really close. I thought they both had good matchups. But, you know, I always say I'm going to take the discount at tight end 
probably 99% of the time because tight end scoring is just so narrow and it takes a lot for these tight ends to hit their ceiling on a weekly basis. So just with that, I thought Evan Ingram and Lamar was stronger than, you know, George Kittle or even like a Mark Andrews or Teddy. But yeah, so that was my thought process on that. And, you know, I just ended up getting the fortunate side of it. So yeah, I mean, I'm a little salty about it. So the one thing I did, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll get your take if it was egregious or not, but I left 600 on the table. Um, and that could have been good for an upgrade from Daniel Jones to Teddy Bridgewater. And I, I opted to stay with Daniel Jones. The reasoning behind that was that I already had Mike Davis and Robbie Anderson in the lineup. I felt like I had a decent amount of exposure to Teddy Bridgewater's production. And seeing as I was committed to George Kittle, you know, I, I figured that I might as well get some Daniel Jones in there with Slay. And it wasn't overkill on a lower total team like the Giants with only two of those guys in there. So I felt fine with that. You know, originally I had the Colts D in there and I just ended up feeling like Browns was a better play. So I went down and left the 600 on the board. How do you feel about that? I mean, that's the most that I've really ever left on the board, I feel like, in a cash game, at least in recent memory. Yeah, I mean, I don't think leaving that much salary on the table is optimal in the long run, but I could see why you did it this week, especially how your build was uh, with you not playing Ingram. So it made sense to stack Godius and Daniel Jones together, but come to find out Daniel Jones is god awful. Uh, Definitely Mm -hmm. a top five worst quarterback in the NFL. His offensive line doesn't help the case as they were getting, you know, just mollywopped all day in that game and the Dallas uh, pass rushers look like gods uh, against that terrible Giants offensive line but Daniel Jones has not been good to start the season so that's why I didn't play him especially when I was already playing Slayton and Ingram and then I didn't want to play Teddy either because I was playing Mike Davis and Robbie Anderson So that's where I was like, all right, let me pay up to one of these high floor, high ceiling quarterbacks up at the top. Didn't really feel like playing Dak because I thought the Cowboys were going to be leading in this matchup and it was going to be a Zeke game, which it ended up being. So it was between Lamar and Mahomes for me. But yeah, I don't I don't think you should have left 600 on the board. I think that was pretty bad. Um, I would have rather had Teddy over Daniel Jones, even if I was playing two Panthers already. You know, the the thing about this that tilts me isn't that I went Daniel Jones over Teddy Bridgewater because I honestly believe Daniel Jones just ran poorly. I mean, for the love of God, they put up 34 points. This dude has under 10 fantasy points. I mean, he is God awful, but I think that that's just ultimate run bad. And as far as the tight end things, I, I think that the 2v2 that we had especially you know, kind of ran hot for you and poorly for me. I mean, I still believe what I told you and texted in the group chat earlier that I think George Kittle and or Travis Kelsey outscores the field 80% of the time because like while you said tight end scoring is narrow, I don't think that that necessarily applies to the top, you know, three or four guys compared to the field at least. And, you know, Evan Ingram squeaks by, gets a rushing touchdown, only ends up with two targets. And George Kittle, you know, has has a situation where Jimmy Garoppolo is playing the worst he's ever played. Then CJ Beathard is in there and, you know, he only gets four catches in a game where the 49ers are down the entire time. So I don't know. I'm tilted. Yeah, I mean, I I can definitely see where you're coming from in terms of the tight ends. But like I said, I'm just always going to pay down at a position where it's just I'm just going to it's not as important for your tight end to hit their ceiling as it is, you know, for your running backs or your wide receivers or your quarterback to hit their ceiling. It's just how it is in DFS. So I'm always going to take the two thousand or the twenty five hundred dollar discount on a guy 
you know, from a process pre-lock standpoint that is in a great matchup, has seen, you know, the second most targets on his team behind Darius Slayton and in a positive game script for the Giants pass catchers. While it didn't work out, he did have a touchdown taken off the board on a fake field goal. Uh, Godius also had a touchdown taken off the board, which would have helped Daniel Jones too. But like I said, at the end of the day, I'm just always going to pay down to tight end because I just don't think paying, you know, 6,500 or 7,000 for a tight end is optimal in my opinion. So that's why I want Ingram. Last thing I'll say on it and I'll get away from like our specific 2v2 is just that I, I think that even you could make the case that it was right this week. I just picked the wrong guy. Like a lot of the higher scoring, you know, upper percentile cash builds, if you look through the double ups, were the Travis Kelsey lineups. So it, it did work this week if you went with Kelsey over Kittle. So mm-hmm. I, it is a week to week thing. And I mean, typically I'm right there with you. I agree with everything you said about it being the least important in terms of reaching their ceiling. And, and most of the time I will pay down. That's why it was such a unique thing that I that I paid up this week because yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. But we can move on from the quarterback tight end discussion and get into the running backs. Uh, you know, Zeke, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Mike Davis, these were the big three, you know, all of them well over 50% owned in the the big double ups. Did you ever consider moving off of any of these guys or or was it just kind of, you know, easy from jump that these were going to be the three? Yeah. I mean, we talked about ever since the preview show and these were the guys this week, uh, Zeke in a great matchup, CEH in a great matchup, Mike Davis in a phenomenal matchup. So, I mean, I, I did consider coming off Mike Davis, but that was probably for like five minutes and I'm just like, nah, got to play Mike Davis against a team that gives up the most uh, catches to running backs on an offense where Teddy Bridgewater will check down to him, you know, six plus times a game. So couldn't pass that up at 6,400 and Clyde Edwards Hilaire, man. He ran terrible uh, against the Raiders. I will give them props. The Raiders played pretty good defense against, you know, one of the better offenses in the NFL and probably the best quarterback in the NFL. So it was just surprising to see CEH bust, especially when they had a bad game on offense, but still put up, what, 32 points. So I I haven't seen like the snap numbers. It did seem to me that in these situations where they were strictly pass protecting, even though uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a good pass catcher, that they had Daryl Williams in there quite a bit just simply for his blocking ability. And I think that kind of makes sense, you know, with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire being as small as he is. So, you know, I don't know if there's anything to that. I'll have to see the snap numbers, you know, when they come out tomorrow. But I, j- I thought that was interesting and maybe, a, you know, a note that he has the capability to get a lot of receptions, but maybe in negative game scripts, which we rarely see the Chiefs in, uh, he may not quite be the guy yet, you know, just in terms of his size and being a rookie who struggles at at pass blocking. Do you think there's anything to that? Yeah, I definitely can see that. And also another thing that just works against CEH is the Chiefs have so many playmakers on their offense that you just never know when the touchdowns are going to come. And especially with the Chiefs being a team that is one of the more pass heavy teams in the red zone, it's going to be hard for Clyde Edwards Hilaire to score, you know, a lot of touchdowns or, you know, two to three touchdowns in a single game. So I think moving forward, uh, we have to lower his ceiling a little bit. Obviously, he's still a phenomenal floor play, but I don't think his ceiling is what some people were hyped it up to be. I, I would actually take the the opposite stance on that. I think that he's more of a ceiling play at this point, like a strictly tournament type play. 
similar to the way that we look at Tyreek Hill, where like even Tyreek Hill, who was, you know, pretty clearly underpriced on the slate, isn't going to be garnering a ton of cash game ownership because, you know, you never know when it could go to Watkins or Kelsey or Hardman or CEH. And I think that that might be the case with Edwards Hilaire too. Like even though his usage was good, you know, only 10 attempts in a, in a negative game script, but still had the eight targets, had the touchdown taken off the board. You know, I think that he'll have his two touchdown games. It's just, it'll go to a lot of different places in this offense, like you said. I can definitely see that, but I still believe that he'll be a better floor play just due to the volume that he will see on a weekly basis. But, you know, coming from a ceiling standpoint, it's going to be hard for him to score two or three touchdowns with a guy like Tyreek Hill on the offense that can score at a moment's notice or Travis Kelsey, you know, the best tight end or the second best tight end in the NFL. And then a bunch of other guys that have that home run ability that Clyde does not have. So in cash games, if he, you know, stays in the six to 6,500 range, He's an auto lock every single week, in my opinion, um, in a fade in tournaments. But that's just how I'm looking at it moving forward. So, I mean, we could differ on that. Yeah. Uh, Mike Davis, I mean, his usage is like God mode right now. I mean, you talked about it with the Falcons. This is a soft spot in their defense. It always has been. I mean, 10 targets, nine receptions, 60 yards, plus 16 attempts. Dude put up nearly 30 points on DraftKings this week. Just absolutely elite. Yeah, I can't believe I faded Mike Davis in tournaments. Uh, absolutely terrible on my part. But yeah, Mike Davis usage is very encouraging. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they use Mike Davis when CMC is healthy, because I don't think you can relegate him to, you know, a bench role, which, you know, he was just a bench player when CMC was healthy. I don't think they can put him back on the bench, especially with how he's playing right now. Um, so that's going to be something to watch moving forward when CMC gets back. But yeah, as long as CMC is out, Mike Davis is going to be one of the best plays on DraftKings every single week just to his receiving upside. And the Panthers offense is actually looking really good right now. So that helps Mike Davis out a lot as well. It does. Um, Zeke Elliott, again, it's kind of the same thing that's been happening for the past couple of weeks. He's like incredibly steady and incredibly reliable, but the ceiling game still has not happened, even in a spot where he scored two touchdowns. It was a modest uh, fantasy output. You can't go wrong with playing Zeke if he's not hitting his ceiling because, I mean, as long as he's still scoring 20 plus points every single week and he is still criminally underpriced every single week like you just have to keep on playing him and that ceiling game will come but his ceiling is probably like 35 or 40 and it's gonna take a lot for him to hit that but as long as he's hitting 25 points every week I don't think we can complain about Zeke at all in terms of fantasy like he's just the best or the second best fantasy running back right now that is fair there were three wide receivers that dominated ownership in cash games we will talk about each of them independently and let's start off with Olamide Zacchaeus I thought it was Zacchaeus by the way all all week last week but apparently it's Zacchaeus so definitely pronounced that wrong like a hundred times but you know, let's talk about it. Min Price, 3K wide receiver, and he completely busted. Was it a bad play or was it bad results? I think it was a little bit of both. Yeah. Just from a prospect standpoint, Zacchaeus probably shouldn't be in the NFL. Uh, sorry to <laughs> burst his bubble, but 
You know, I don't think he should be in the, in the NFL. He's 5'8", ran like a 4-5-40. Uh, he did have good college production, which most likely got him on an NFL roster. But this isn't a guy that's going to blow you away in talent. He's not going to make those big, splashy plays that we see Calvin Ridley or even Julio make. Uh, he's strictly a possession receiver. And when the Falcons passing offense is terrible, which it was in this matchup, and he is the third or fourth option behind, you know, Calvin Ridley, Gage, and Hurst, then yeah, the result are going are going to be bad at 3k the dfs community was willing to accept that risk because of his potential target upside and you know because we saw him have eight or nine targets against the packers when julio went out but like i said i think it was not the best play you know it wasn't terrible and then the results obviously didn't work out and this was something that i was flip-flopping on right up until 1255 like that was my decision I was like do I go Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus or however you say it and you know play Lamar Mahomes or do I go down to Teddy and find another mid-range wide receiver because I wasn't high on him at all and obviously I ended up going the Lamar and uh, Zacchaeus route which I think was my biggest 2v2 downfall Uh, but I still cash so thank god but I I didn't want to play him I ended up playing him because I'm a donkey so yeah I mean it was never really a question for me as soon as Julio was ruled out I mean I think he was essentially a lock I thought he would be a lot more owned even than 50% to be honest with you but I mean I know he's a pretty off the board player but still 50% owned at min price and the thing is is that you know it doesn't really burn you like you still cash with you know the two points or whatever it was in the lineup so I mean I'm not mad at the play I think it was like you said a little bit of both but I I think that it was okay to make in the context of the slate Uh, if you wanted to pay up and you made the right choice went to Kelsey or Mahomes with that money I think that that would have been uh, just fine Robbie Anderson Joe I mean we've been talking about it I've been banging this drum for a minute now any debate is over. He is the clear-cut wide receiver one in Carolina. I know that DJ Moore had the long touchdown, flashy play, but Robbie Anderson out-targeted him 11-5 to in this spot. Yeah, Robbie Anderson is the wide receiver one now, and you know we talked about it on the preview episode, and you were kind of hesitant on giving Robbie Anderson the ownership advantage uh, to DJ mm-hmm. Moore, and Robbie Anderson ended up coming in at like, what, 50-plus percent? in double ups and DJ Moore was around 10%. So like I said, the public is getting sharper. And I mean, this was probably the easiest play on the slate besides the player that we're going to talk about next uh, at, you know, 5,900, still not priced above his wide receiver too. Robbie Anderson was just a smash play and it worked out, you know, great matchup. Uh, And Robbie Anderson is having a breakout season in uh, Carolina, which is good to see. Yeah, really excited for some of the the current players that are on the Jets right now to see how they flourish in in post-Adam Gase world because, uh, you know, Robbie Anderson is really reaping the benefits of being in a great scheme and getting away from that toxic environment. But enough, you know, we buried the lead last show we're burying the lead now i mean it's time joey it worked out it all worked out like we always knew it would darius slayton aka godius just an absolute monster play smash play eight for 129 on 11 targets 23.9 fantasy points he was you know a damian ratley offensive holding call pick play you know terrible penalty away from having another 30 point day and just just a monster play of 4800. I can't believe he was only 51% owned and not 100% owned 
in every lineup on DraftKings this week. Yeah, that just goes to show you that about 48% of people are stone cold donkeys. Mm-hmm. I mean, Darius Slayton was the biggest lock of the week at 4,800. We discussed it. Everything was setting up so well for him. The matchup the target share, the snap percentage, and the game script. And the raw talent. And he's one of the most talented wide receivers that are coming up out of that uh, 2019 rookie class. So Darius Slayton, 8 for 129. Like you mentioned, he had that 41-yard touchdown taken off the board. So if I do the math on that real quick, that's like another 11 points gone. And if he scores at 11 points, guess what? He's the wide receiver one in NFL week five, but we're not going to talk about that because it was a penalty. But yeah, just overall smash play and, you know, our listeners, if they took anything away from that preview episode, it was to play Darius Slayton and I think they got the W on that. I mean, that was an auto W, so I I hope that they all they all took that advice. Imagine if Darius Slayton had a good quarterback. Yeah, that would be be very very good for Darius Slayton's outlook and it it just sucks that he is paired with Daniel Jones who hasn't scored a touchdown for the Giants (laughs) offense that he is responsible for since week one so that's my cash game quarterback (laughs) (laughs) tough scene all right Joey let's get into some of the interesting statistics that we saw come out of week five I mean this dude Chase Claypool rookie wide receiver for the Steelers just completely destroyed the slate had seven receptions on 11 targets for 110 yards three touchdowns and then another three attempts and a rushing touchdown four touchdowns in total just unbelievable performance by chase claypool who i believe was like 4100 on DraftKings and and well under one percent owned yeah he was sitting at like a solid 0.75 percent uh in terms of ownership absolutely went off scored a touchdown on 40 percent of his touches absolutely crazy and they were just looking to get him the ball big ben was literally just only targeting Claypool whenever he was out there. They designed specific plays for Claypool to score touchdowns. Like they ran a screen to the left hash and had three blockers in front of him all on the hash. He turned to Ben, caught the ball and scored an easy touchdown. Like they just schemed up plays for him and it was Chase Claypool day. So, I mean, it's hard to predict a scenario like that happening with, you know, a guy that is barely playing and it took a Deontay Johnson injury for him to get a more significant playing time. So I don't think that is going to last moving forward. And I think we have to talk about Juju. I think Juju is more worried about his little TikTok dances rather than being a good NFL wide receiver at this point. How do you feel about that? Well, I'll be honest with you, Joey. And as you know, I'm not on TikTok. So when I saw that you tweeted that, you know, I I, I just have to take your word for it. I mean, is that is that his vibe these days? Because I know he used to be more like Fortnite, Twitch gamer type vibes. So has he he fully transitioned to TikTok. Yeah. Is that the thing? Now? Yeah, he's fully on TikTok, and you know, ten minutes after the game's over, he's posting a TikTok of him dancing. That's concerning. I mean, Chase Claypool made a TikTok after the game as well, too. So it's taking over these people's lives, Ben. So you think Juju's a negative influence on him? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that Juju needs to get his sh- together. That's what I think needs to happen. Mm. You know, a few weeks ago, you had a, a theory that Juju Smith-Schuster was kind of like being like the big brother to these guys, to like Deontay and Claypool, sort of taking a step back, you know, letting the team shine. You know, him and Mike Tomlin sat down. They were like, you know, we got to get these young guys involved because mm-hmm. Juju's already established. 
do you still think that's the case or is it really just you know maybe juju like you said is just too distracted with uh with the tiktok <laughs> yeah i mean i i still believe in that theory I think it's important to build chemistry uh, with your depth players, and that's what they did today. Uh, Big Ben got his chemistry going with Chase Claypool, and it'll help them in the long run. So I think Juju's time will still come. Now, if we see like two or three more games with him having one or two catches for 10 yards, then there's an issue. But as of right now, I think that Juju is fine. I think you just hold on to him and you know hope that his time comes within the next two weeks. Because I think it will. Yeah, I'd be willing to buy low on him in season long, or especially Dynasty, because he is so young, and we've we've already seen a really high ceiling from him, uh, especially in Dynasty. But uh, you know, he wasn't Chase Claypool wasn't the only random wide receiver in this game to go nuclear. On the other side of the ball, Travis Fulgham mm. for the Eagles, <laughs> ten for one fifty two and one on thirteen targets. Never heard of this dude in my life. What's going on here? Who is he? <laughs> Uh, I have no idea who he is. I mean, he was a practice squad player this season, uh, got cut by like three teams. Eagles claimed him off waivers, and now he's their wide receiver one, I guess. Um, Had an absolute monster game against a tough Steelers secondary, apparently. Guess they aren't that tough anymore. But yeah, Travis Fulgham absolutely snapped, and this is definitely a trap. This is never going to happen again. This will be his (laughs) career game. He will never have over 150 yards again in his career. Mark my words on that. And, you know, I'm I, I'm kind of pissed at myself because I did mention this game on the podcast in terms of, like, low-owned stacks. But, like, I'm not playing Fulgham. I'm not playing Chase Claypool in these stacks. So, like, you know, I kind of called it, but, like, you can't really count it because I was talking about, like, Big Ben and Deontay Johnson and Juju and, and, uh, and Miles Sanders. But then you have these two random wide receivers go off for, you know, 35, 40 points. So that's a tough scene. But Travis Fulgham, shout out to him, uh, had a career day, but it'll never happen again. I don't know, man. I think that there's just so much dust between Greg Ward, JJ Ortega Whiteside, Alshon Jeffrey with like just infinite ailments to constantly hurt. Haven't seen him in like a full year. Deshaun Jackson, age 33. I don't know, man. There's there's uh, room for somebody to be good there. Maybe it's uh, Travis Fulgham. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. Got to do more research on him. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna look up his uh, player profiler a bit later. We're gonna see. We're gonna see what we've got here, and we'll get to it on the preview podcast. <laughs> you know, another wide receiver who snapped today, Joey Brandon Cooks. I mean, call this dude the pregnancy scare because he's a week late. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> come on uh yeah so eight for 161 and one on 12 targets and you were all over this in our group chat this morning yeah i didn't say it on the podcast so i can't really count it you know it's kind of like whatever but i did text and say that he was a very good tournament play and i said it was easy money i played him in a couple lineups uh i I only ended up playing like seven or eight lineups so i got him in like two he had an incredible day uh the jags were down like their top cornerback they were down their top linebacker their top defensive lineman so it was a really good spot for the texans uh wide receivers in i mean we were all over it in the preview episode if you want if the listeners want to go back and listen uh we said that the texan stack was going to be a very good stack and watson had a great day brandon cooks had a great day will fuller salvaged his day with a late touchdown so you know sometimes it just works out and brandon cooks works out now do we think that he goes off for 161 moving forward no but the targets are there 
He's running routes on, you know, 90 plus percent of Deshaun Watson's dropbacks. And, you know, with that opportunity, he's going to make for an interesting play on DFS uh, every single week, as long as his price stays at, you know, 41 or 4,500, like we've seen in the last two weeks. I think he'll get a significant price increase for week six if they're on the main slate. I haven't even looked, but yeah, he's definitely somebody we have to consider moving forward uh, just because the opportunity is so high in uh, Houston. It was encouraging to see because, you know, as even though he's bounced around to multiple teams at this point, sometimes wide receivers moving teams never quite recapture. It. And, you know, we finally did see that with the Texans. I mean, I, for one, was definitely, you know, a victim of recency bias here after he did me dirty in cash game with a donut last week and then, you know, proceeds to drop 30 this week. I mean, that's just insane. But, you know, this was a guy that I was touting as potentially the Texans wide receiver one all offseason. This was a guy that I had you know, it was one of my 10 most owned players in best ball. So I guess that I, I just definitely, you know, was a, a victim of the moment there and, and kind of forgot that he should have the ceiling. And at 4,100 in a great matchup in a spot that we were stacking the Texans, I was on that too, all over the Watson to, to Fuller stack. So should have definitely considered him more and just completely laughed at you when you suggested that this morning. <laughs> yeah, got laughed at a lot this week. And I think this from like a prediction standpoint, it was one of my more accurate weeks. Yeah, let's talk about another wide receiver, uh, Jamison Crowder. Is he potentially the most slept on player in fantasy football right now? Averaging 11 targets per game, over 100 yards in all three games that he's played, and he's quite clearly quarterback proof. You know, he will produce with Sam Darnold, He'll perform with, you know, the king of dust himself, Joe Flacco, and he appears to be completely Adam Gase proof, which is like damn near a superpower. So what's what's going on with Jamison Crowder right now? Yeah, I mean, I do think that he is one of the most slept on players in fantasy, and he is just a solid slot receiver. He knows how to get open. He's reliable, and he's just always going to be there to be the safety blanket for whoever his quarterback is. And I think that he might be Adam Gase proof at this point. And he absolutely went off against the Cardinals and ended up being in the Millie Maker winning lineup with uh, the Murray and Hop stack. So Jamison Crowder, we definitely have to look at him moving forward. And just for this week, I wasn't on it. Because, like, I'm not playing any Jets wide receivers with Joe Flacco at quarterback. Like, no shot, no thank you. You know, he proved me wrong. And I think he is somebody that we do have to consider moving forward. As he is the clear-cut, the best player that the Jets have on offense by a large stretch. Like, it's crazy. At least until Denzel Mims returns from IR. But yeah, big fan of Crowder. I did have one of that stack, Murray to Hopkins and Crowder, but unfortunately was bogged down by James Robinson and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So GG's on that. And, you know, speaking of Clyde Edwards Hilaire and those chalky running backs, we talked about the three that we were really, you know, laser focused in on. But the other guy who's just outside of that tier for me, at least was Kareem Hunt. And what we saw out of him today, I think was extremely encouraging. There was a lot of speculation based on what we saw last week where Dearness Johnson, you know, ended up actually out touching Cream Hunt after Nick Chubb's initial injury. And I think that that, you know, really held down Cream Hunt's ownership, especially, you know, he was around 20%. And, you know, Cream Hunt without Nick Chubb, I think should be garnering a lot more attention. And we saw today what he could be. I mean, 20 touches on the ground, four targets through the air, just absolutely elite usage, out-touched Dearness Johnson 23-9. to nine. And didn't really produce 
too too crazy, only like 18 points and some change on DraftKings. And I think that if that keeps his price under 7K again next week, having that modest fantasy day, then he'll just be a phenomenal play in, in week six. Yeah, I mean, Cream Hunt without Nick Chubb, like we've said, is a clear-cut RB1 and has running back one overall potential. So this is a guy that you, know, you should be targeting every single week in DFS, whether that be cash games, if his price allows for it, or tournaments. And personally, I was never worried about Dearness Johnson. I didn't think that he was going to have more touches than Cream Hunt uh, in this matchup or in any matchup moving forward. He is just strictly a change of pace back. And whenever Cream Hunt needs to come out for, you know, like a little water or, you know, a little rest, Dearness Johnson is going to go in. But he is no threat to Cream Hunt's workload right now. And we saw that this week. And Cream Hunt is just a phenomenal running back, and he can catch, he can run, and he's in a system where they want to utilize the running back more than basically every other team in the NFL. So take that information as you will. Yeah, make sure you guys uh, check out the Week 6 preview podcast that'll be coming out on Thursday. I have a feeling we'll be touching on Kareem Hunt, who will be going against the Steelers that just got torched by Miles Sanders today. So that'll be interesting to talk about once salary comes out. Another popular running back, at least for me in GPPs, the guy that I was sort of targeting as my fifth and final running back in terms of GPP pools was James Robinson uh, for the Jags. So were you on, were you on this Robinson wave as well mm-hmm. in GPPs? Unfortunately. What happened? Man, I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously, I do know. The Jaguars got down and they abandoned the run game when they got down by two scores. So obviously James Robinson got game scripted out. And I just thought he was a great pivot off some of those chalk running backs in the same price range going up against one of the worst run defenses in terms of yards allowed and DVOA. So I was all over the James Robinson play this week and Sometimes it just doesn't work out, and this was one of those weeks it didn't work out. He had an atrocious fumble in the red zone where, you know, he went to try to throw the ball and it just slipped out of his hands. So lost two points on that and, you know, ended up getting that snowflake next to his name, and that's fantasy football. I mean, can't be too mad, but still hurts to see him bust like that, especially when I played him in like 80% of my lineups. Yeah, as did I. He was Him and Kareem Hunt were in almost all of my GPP lineups, and I got off those chalky guys. So that was definitely a tough scene, but I will say that his workload was pretty encouraging, uh, you know, despite getting game scripted out, like you said, only 13 attempts on the ground. He still did see seven targets, which is encouraging considering they do have Chris Thompson there. So they're still willing to give him looks in the passing game when they're behind. And he gets a great matchup against the Lions next week. I bet that we see his price fall on DraftKings and he'll be somebody that I'll be looking to buy low on. I mean, you know, earlier in the week, there were quotes that, you know, they're committing to him and they want to get him more touches in the second half. And I think that, yeah, he'll he'll definitely be somebody to look at Mm -hmm. as a bounce back candidate next week. For sure. I definitely agree with that. All right. uh, Two more quick notes to hit on a little bit less fantasy, perhaps more general NFL and uh, Dan Quinn, Joey, former head coach of the Atlanta Falcons was fired right around the time we started recording this. So give me some initial reactions to that. Yeah, I mean, it was a long time coming for Dan Quinn. He should have been fired a long time ago, and I think the Falcons needed to make the move. They also fired their GM, Thomas Dimitrov. So I think they are just looking at 
you know, a full-on reset. This is a wasted year once again for the Falcons. Uh, they're not going to be competing in many games. I mean, they still have fantasy relevant players. So we'll see how that works out, especially with, uh, Dirk Cutter probably taking over as head coach, if I had to make a guess right now. So we'll see how their uh, fantasy stocks change with Cutter as the new uh, play caller and, and head coach. But yeah, Dan Quinn, hate to say it, but like he deserved to be fired, you know? I mean, it's a man. He's got a family, some kids, right? N- needs income. But if yeah. you're just terrible at your job, you don't deserve to have that job. And he was just terrible. Some other NFL team will probably sign him, uh, not as a head coach, but maybe, you know, he'll go back to being a defensive coordinator where he could just focus on one side of the ball and not run a whole team. Yeah, he can bring some of that elite uh, Falcons scheme that they run on defense and, you know, bring that to another team. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, some of these coaches get a lot of opportunities off of the situations that they had in the past. Dan Quinn and Adam Gase, two prime examples. Obviously, Dan Quinn had the Legion of Boom where they had four superstar players in their secondary. So I think it's kind of easy to run a defense when you have so much talent, I I would guess. And then Adam Gase with Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning has made him so rich. And it's just annoying to see that these guys are still getting jobs based off stuff they did in the past rather than what they are doing now or, you know, the, the near past, not five years ago. You feel me? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like we might be having this conversation about Bill Belichick soon with the way the quarterback room is looking no post-Brady. No shot. What you talking about? <laughs> that, that's that's probably the dumbest thing I ever heard you say in my life. <laughs> oh, man. I, I honestly just put this Dan Quinn thing on there just so I could eventually get to that joke. I'm, I'm not it's not a lie. joke, though. Um, <laughs> no shot. <laughs> no, but... The last thing I'll say on this topic, though, is that I'm seeing some articles pop up, you know, on Falcons Twitter saying that they should make Raheem Morris the interim head coach, the defensive coordinator. And I mean, I I can't possibly see that if he's going to bring any of that, uh, you know, soft mentality that the Falcons defense just emanates to the rest of the team. That would be just a heavy L. So I think that they should go with Dirk Cutter, who, you know, has head coach experience and, you know, just was willing to let it fly with Jameis Winston. That that would be the best case scenario for fantasy purposes with the Atlanta Falcons, I think. Yeah, definitely. Dirk Cutter will air that ball out and it'll benefit uh, Calvin Ridley and the other Falcons wide receivers. Last thing we're going to touch on right here is, you know, an interesting news story that broke throughout the, you know, the random part of the day today just kind of came out of nowhere that Michael Thomas would be inactive, which was surprising, right? Because it it seemed like he was trending in the right direction health wise, you know, so we find that out. And then maybe an hour later, little Schefter bomb, midday Schefter bomb says that, you know, Michael Thomas isn't actually going to be out because of his health. It's a team handed down suspension because he got into an altercation at practice. Now, there, there's no details yet of what that altercation is. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, you guys are listening to it on Monday morning. You know, there will be more to the story. But as of right now, Joey, I mean, you got any theories? Got any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, he definitely, you know, threw hands with a defensive player. And it was probably somebody in the secondary seeing as how those are the players that he faces off the most against in practice. Now, if I had to take a guess, you know, PJ Williams isn't a likable dude. He's trash. 
he he could definitely be on the receiving end of a couple uh, uppercuts from Michael Thomas. Um, maybe Janoris Jenkins too. They they could definitely have some beef. I don't think he would beef with Marshawn Lattimore though, because I think they both went to Ohio State. I think they're cool. I got kind of a hot take here, and and you know I think maybe. Let's just let's just keep our eyes open. That's what I'm going to say. Let's keep our eyes open tomorrow night when the Saints play, and, and you know we're looking at the field on pregame warmups on Monday Night Football on on ESPN. Let's take a look at Drew Brees. See if he has like a black eye or something. <laughs> I think there's a there's a possibility that Michael Thomas might have popped off at the Drew Brees. You know, Drew Brees. It, it wasn't that long ago he was making some questionable comments in the media, and even Michael Thomas was talking about it on Twitter. You know, I think that they're on two opposite sides of the political spectrum. You know, Michael Thomas is an activist, a young activist, and Drew Brees is like a 42-year-old white dude who lives in the South. (laughs) That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. I don't know. So if Drew Brees, you know, if it looks like maybe he's got some cover-up under the left eye tomorrow on Monday Night Football, I think that'll tell you everything you need to know. Hey, that's a good good, uh, theory. I like that. Uh, Michael Thomas snuffed him real quick. Maybe. I mean, he does get sensitive. (laughs) Yeah, he's probably the most sensitive NFL player. <laughs> oh, God. His, his tweets are funny. His Twitter's funny, if the listeners have never looked at it. This dude, Michael Thomas, cries about everything. <laughs> so I could definitely see him and Drew Brees getting into a fight. And obviously, they're going to uh, roll with Brees. You know, they're a longtime veteran who won them a Super Bowl and disciplined Michael Thomas so yeah they, they're gonna give Trey away another run as the wide receiver one <laughs> Michael Thomas trade incoming maybe who knows but I think that's all we've got for episode 96 of the DFS Dose podcast thank you all for listening we will be back as we are every single Thursday with a new episode previewing the coming slate a lot of turbulent stuff I mean I'm not even sure what games are on this slate it got moved around there were like eight games yeah. that got moved around I couldn't even keep track of it during all the chaos of today's slate so you know we'll you know study that and and come back to you guys with some answers as to how to handle the week six slate on thursday like joey said at the top of the show you can support the podcast by following us on any podcast platform apple soundcloud spotify stitcher podcast addict wherever you get your podcasts we are there and also don't forget to subscribe to the youtube channel and check out our website the dfsdose.com for exclusive articles as well you can follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover, B E N H A U V E R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion DFS. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Hope you all played Darius Slayton and sailed to the money this week. We will talk to you on Thursday.